the Radiant Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Chapman, and today I have my friend Elena Stratton, also a columnist here at Radiant, joining me. I would love for her to start by sharing her story. You guys are going to love her. Hey, Elena. Hey, Kelsey. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm so glad to have you. And just to know you, I would love for you to start by sharing your story. I'm intrigued to know more of your story. I know our listeners are. Go for it. Awesome. So my story is um, pretty pretty interesting. I think I've lived a really awesome story with the Lord, and I'm really thankful for just the journey I've been able to go on. Um, but I actually was born in the Midwest outside of Chicago, which is where I lived for most of my life. And um, at that time, I wasn't really going to church, didn't know the Lord or anything, um, was always involved with creative things, always liked to write, always liked to dance. Um, and when I graduated high school at 18, I decided that I needed to go somewhere as far away from home as I could get. So I went to university in Los Angeles at Loyola Marymount University, where I was a dance major. So I got to spend four years just studying art and um, learning, honestly, a little bit more about the Lord and not really interested in that. I think for most of my young adult life, I was like a lot of people, I would consider myself spiritual, but not religious. I think that's like this, like the surveys they'll do. That's like the biggest statistic right now of like millennials. It's like, oh, spiritual, but not religious is how we, how we think about ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was definitely me. Um, and when I graduated college, I more or less kind of hit rock bottom. I had been struggling like a lot of people do with like depression and anxiety and being in the art world was hard because it was also very competitive and just full of comparison. And I didn't really know who I was. So like I said, I didn't really know the Lord. So I didn't really have much of a sense of identity at that point. So school ended, everything that I had that kind of defined who I was went away. So I wasn't a resident advisor anymore. I wasn't a student. I wasn't a dance major. Um, I wasn't a girlfriend. My boyfriend had dumped me. So all these things that I knew that was like, oh, this is how I know that I'm okay and this is who I am sort of fell away. Um, and I spent this year in LA just having um, just like a bummer time. It was just like the worst year of my life probably. Wow. But it's, but it's Yeah. But it's also like the best year of my life because I can look back at that year now and know that there are times while I was living in LA, just super struggling that the Lord spoke so clearly to me. And I didn't even know that it was him because again, I wasn't really sure that I believed in God and I didn't know that he talked. And um, at the time, my future husband was at Bethel um, being a part of their ministry school. And he would call me and tell me all these crazy things. And I had to just kind of put on earmuffs and be like, la, 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 la. This is weird. This is weird. <laughs> I don't think I believe in that but I like you. You're my friend. So um, it was an interesting place. But now, of course, on the other side, I can look back and I'm like, no, I see like how the Lord spoke to me. One time in particular being, um, I was actually visiting a friend of a friend at his church in LA um, because it's just a thing that I did. This is like so weird. Like, why would I do this? I wasn't really into God. But during that year when I was so sad, sometimes I would just go to churches because I felt felt safe. Wow. And yeah, right. And so I went to visit this guy. We're not even like, we weren't even really that close of friends. I was driving home in a borrowed car because I didn't have my own car at the time. And I was just sitting there feeling just the the depth of the sadness that I was in and the loneliness. Um, 
And I was sitting at a red light. I pulled up and there was a red light and I stopped. And I remember thinking to myself, um, this is death. Like, surely this is, this is what it feels like to be dead. Like, I'm a dead person. And before the light turned green, I heard a thought in my head that said, well, if this is death, then the next thing can only be life. That's what comes next. And it was just like this passing thought. But a couple of years later, after I had actually become a Christian and, and learned more about who God is and how he speaks to me, I realized now that that had to have been God um, because it gave me hope. Um, and from that point forward, things started moving in my life and I was able to leave L.A., primarily because I knew it wasn't healthy for me anymore. And I just knew there had to be something else, so I chose to leave, um, which is really amazing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. Okay, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> so after that, um, I ended up moving to New York City um, to be a part of a volunteer program. So uh, I went to, like I said, Loyola Marymount. So it's a Catholic school. It's a Jesuit school, actually. And they're super into social justice and how— um, like knowing God means being in the service of others. Like how do you be a, a man or a woman for other people? Um, and so a lot of my peers went off to do these like volunteer programs after school. And I was like, okay, like I want to help people. Um, dance isn't working out for me. Like I've pretty much put that on the shelf entirely because I, I don't believe in myself at this point. So I'm like, oh, I guess it's just not going to happen. So I moved to New York City to be a part of this um, faith-based volunteer program. And I end up living there for three years, one year as a volunteer, and then two years just living life um, and working for social services organizations in the city. Wow. Uh, Yeah, which is a really amazing experience. And I ended up meeting a girl my first year at orientation for my volunteer group um, who was my roommate. And uh, I knew that she was a Christian. And I was sitting in the room with her um, at orientation and just like really sheepishly, I was kind of looking at my computer and like my playlist and I, and I kind of look at her and I'm like, hey, so do you, um, do you like Phil Wickham music? Because Phil Wickham was like the only Christian music I knew. <laughs> like they, they played some songs of his at a church I had gone to sometimes in LA and um, my ex-boyfriend had listened to him uh, ironically when we were in college. And so like I knew this one Christian artist um, and thought it was really beautiful, you know? And so I was like, oh, do you like him? And she's like, Oh, yeah, I I do know Phil Wickham. Do you know Phil Wickham? And so we start talking about, you know, Phil Wickham and, and how I knew him and church and all these sorts of things. And she was a really wonderful friend in that, um, and still to this day, but especially in that era of my life, because with gentleness, she kind of allowed me to ask questions and to process uh, just the feelings I had about church and about Jesus and why I had, uh, I almost said straight, I hadn't straight, I had just stayed away from that for so long. Um, which again, isn't, isn't un, isn't uncommon. I think I see a lot of my past self in a lot of people that I know and a lot of people who write things online and just like the general, yeah, like just people who are really, um, uninterested in the Christianity they've been presented with. And I think that that's just because that a lot of us are presented with a a Christianity that is actually less than what God had in mind, Um, which nobody does on purpose, but people only do if they don't have um, a greater revelation themselves. And so you end up getting this sort of like presentation of religion and rules and less so much like what relationship with God can actually look like. And so 
I was just like a lot of people. Like I was kind of like, hey, like this doesn't, this doesn't make sense to me. But there's something inside of me that actually wanted to know God. And I felt embarrassed. I felt embarrassed that I wanted to know Jesus. Um, but this friend gave me the space to explore that. How cool. And what a great friend. If I look back over the course of my life, the friends that kind of just allow the process, don't rush the process, but like walk with me through it. It's so meaningful. It's really powerful. Yeah. I think about that a lot too. Anytime people come to me, regardless of where they're at spiritually, when they ask questions, I just remember how the most impactful thing for me was when people affirmed who I was, even if I wasn't acting like who I was, and they left space for me to ask questions and just encouraged me where I was at. Um, and what didn't work was when, um, actually, like when I was younger, my um, now husband grew up in the same town I did. So we went to the same middle school, same high school. We've been friends since seventh grade. And um, shortly after we met, like he began talking to me about Jesus and telling me how like I needed to be saved and how <laughs> everyone's going to hell if they don't know God and all this stuff that is theologically correct. But when you're like a, a middle schooler, um, maybe with not so much tact, like it doesn't come off. You know, it's, yeah. Being theologically correct doesn't matter. It's kind of like people don't get won over for Christ because, you know, you bang them with a Bible over the head. Like they go to God because they have an experience of his love. And that's what gets you. It's not the, you know. So we had like a really interesting early friendship because it was a lot of him talking to me on the phone about God and a lot of me yelling at him about <laughs> <laughs> wow. And to be obviously married now and look back on that. That's hilarious. And and it, it is true. Hey, he was in middle school. I know a lot of adults like that. So I'm sure <laughs> there's grace there as well. Yeah. Um, and, and it really does speak to the effectiveness of like showing Jesus to people like there are more effective ways than others. And often it's the kind of quiet way that speaks the most. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that lately, especially after the election and just because political events tend to stir up um, people on all sides of different ideologies. Um, everybody just has an opinion and everybody has a good reason for why they think what they do. Like we all are impassioned for good reasons about the things that we care about. But I was just starting to notice just the way the Lord would talk to me about my own judgment or the way that I would think about issues or other people. And I've been thinking a lot about what it actually means to, um, I don't know, more or less represent Jesus in the world and how much is it my job to judge people and correct them and how much is it my job actually just to be love on the face of the earth and what that actually looks like. And so I think about that a lot. And I, and I do think that having grown up sort of outside of the church and then <clears throat> kind of experiencing over the course of my life Christians at every turn like there there were people that I met in college that um, actually used to go to Mosaic Church in LA which is an amazing church yeah. out there mm -hmm. and they would come to campus and hold this event um, once a week and it just happened to be at the like event space I guess it was that I worked at as like a it was like a student I forget what they call it like student worker kind of thing like it was a work study program I guess and they were just so kind to me and they just took a liking to me. And even though I was always upfront with everyone that I met that I wasn't really into Jesus, like they didn't let that stop them from just loving me. And I remember thinking like, first of all, it's being impacted that they liked me at all, but also just like, whoa, like Christians like 
can dress cool and can be nice and can be really hip and are into the things I'm into. Like it just kind of blew my mind. And that to me was so much more intriguing than anything anyone ever done before. And so when I see things now online, sometimes the way people talk about things and I don't want to be critical, but it is to me, I'm like, oh, like I imagine that if I weren't with God right now, what that would actually be saying to me is maybe not quite what people are hoping it says. And so I feel really strongly about that. I think just because of the, you know, the current state of the world, people are, a lot of people have a lot of feelings and we can respond, I think in a way that will show people God, or we can respond in a way that might not. And I just, I'm concerned about that because it's like my real life story. I got to live that. I experienced it from both, from both camps, I think. Girl, you are speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) So what, so what did you do? Um, from New York. So you were there for three years and somehow ended up in Nashville, right? And I'd, where did Blake come in during that time? Yeah. So this is the super fun part. So while I was living in New York, I started going to church with that same friend. So both of us lived in New York for a couple of years after that program ended. And we started going to a church together. We actually went to Trinity Grace in Chelsea. So it's a really wonderful church in New York City that actually has um, parishes in the right word, but like church locations in like across all the boroughs. So like no matter where you are in New York, there was like a Trinity Grace you could get to, which is really cool. Um, But I started going there and I would come in. It was in this old German church in Chelsea and I would come up and I would go sit in the balcony like way up top by myself. Um, And then sometimes my friend would come meet me. And over the course of like, gosh, like two years, two and a half years, I slowly started making my way down, getting a little bit more comfortable bit by bit and kind of move from the balcony down to the main floor and from the back to sort of the middle. And um, one day they were talking about small groups and I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I feel like I should join one. And so I went to the back right after the service and I met this uh, wonderful woman named Allison who was in charge of that. And I was like, listen, like I want to join a group. I don't really know where I'm at spiritually, but I would like to get connected to community. And she's like, awesome, come to my house next week. So I ended up being in this Bible study for like two years. Again, not entirely decided about the person of Jesus. I was kind (laughs) of like, okay, like maybe God's cool. Um, The creative in me, just the person who'd always been seeking beauty and joy and love and all that kind of stuff. Like I knew that I was spiritual. Like we all know that we're spiritual. Like we all hunger for that. That's why we all do all the different things we do to try to meet that need. Like we all know. Um, And so I was doing that. And so I was kind of like warming up to the idea of Jesus, but I wasn't sure about like supernatural savior. Jesus was a little bit weird for me still. Um, Still a little bit strange. So during this time, I'm, you know, going to church, getting more acquainted with God, um, kind of losing some of my prior bitterness and anger that had kept me from Jesus before. Um, working in social services, being super challenged, definitely growing in compassion, also being really heartbroken by the pain of the world, um, and also still abandoning a lot of my loves. Like, I wasn't really pursuing dance. I think I went to dance class a couple of times, but again, I thought it was done. I would start blogs here and there, but it never really um, lasted. And I landed at a place where actually around this time, uh, about four years ago now, I was thinking, well, I'll probably just go to grad school because that seems to be what people like me do. Like, I love school and I want to help people. So I should probably go get my master's in social work. 
Um, my sister was doing that. Um, a lot of my friends were doing that. I was like, this seems like a practical way that I can use my gifts, which seem to be like connection and empathy and encouragement. Um, and I had stumbled across some seminars on art therapy, which I took. And I was like, great, I think I found it. Like, this is it. Like the, my entire life, like I've always been creative. I've always had a lot of compassion. Clearly, this is the way. So I was thinking I was going to go to grad school. Meanwhile, uh, my best friend, Blake, and I, uh, he had, he was the one who went to Bethel. And he moved back from Bethel to Nashville. And he was a, like a touring musician. He played bass. He had gone to Belmont, um, like everybody in Nashville <laughs> was a musician. <laughs> And, um, we were talking more and more on the phone. And before we really realized it, we had kind of crossed over into like flirtation station zone, (laughs) um, which wasn't like, again, like this is kind of one of those things where I'm like, your, everyone's story is going to be so different and you can never really model your life exactly after somebody else's because Jesus is always doing really interesting and different things with each of us. So I just kind of like, want to put a a warning label on this from the start that I'm about to say some things that were really bad boundaries, but at the time it worked and I promise the Lord (laughs) worked it together for everybody's good. But basically, um, we just like were flirting, you know, we just realized we liked each other. But what that led to was just, you know, this cycle of having conversations where it'd be like, okay, like we actually don't believe the same things fundamentally about spirituality and the world itself. Like we don't, like if you don't believe in Jesus and I do like this can't work, but what we know is that we are best friends and this is meant to be a lifelong friendship. So if we're going to preserve the friendship, we need to stop flirting. And so then we'd come up with great ways not to do that. We'd have a little bit of distance, but then we'd like start the whole thing over again. So it kind of was <laughs> like really sad cycle. Um, Cause I felt very, I mean, There was always a part of me ever since, honestly, like middle school, that I thought that he was the person I was going to end up with, even though it made no sense. It was always something in the back of my mind that I thought, you know, even when I was dating my college boyfriend, when I was living in New York and just, you know, making some really questionable choices, as we all do sometimes (laughs) when we're in our mid-20s, living in a big city, and maybe drinking a little bit more than we should. Um, I lived a whole other kind of life before, you know, so like, but even throughout all of that, I, there's a part of me that thought at the very least I knew we were going to be friends forever, but there was a part of me that was like, I think that we're going to end up together and I don't know why. Um, and that's not exactly what he thought by the way, which is interesting. It isn't really. Mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, I don't think he had, he always felt drawn to me. Um, and he always felt really drawn to my family. Like even when we were younger, um, and didn't know anything about not anything, but yeah, neither one of us really knew as much about the Lord or how Holy Spirit works or any of that stuff or what's prophetic or not. But he always just had that feeling that like, there is a reason he was in my life and there was a reason he was in the life of my family. And part of that was as a protector. And so he's always loved my entire family and he's always been a person that, you know, like, in high school, I could call him to get a ride somewhere if my mom couldn't take me or whatever. He was just always there for us. He felt drawn to us. And it felt, I think, like a deeper, more purposeful thing than just like, oh, this is my friend Elena. You know, like we were aware that there was some kind of weird magnetic thing that kept us together. Um, But yeah, I don't think he thought that he would marry me one day because he knew I wasn't a Christian. So in his mind, it was totally off the table. Like he would never, 
But guys are, I think, able to do that more than we are. You know, like, right. I think that for them, it's like, oh, pragmatically, that doesn't work. So totally. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I am so intrigued. So, okay. I want to, I want to know more. And obviously, so did you move from Nashville as y'all started talking more and more? Did you move from Nashville or from New York down to Nashville? No. So this is, this is also <laughs> like one of my favorite things about it because I, I love that, um, the Lord made it easy for us to not maybe, uh, what's the word, maybe like cross-contaminate my two separate journeys. So what what I feel like I've been able to live is this really rare and special experience of getting to be on a, a journey of, of learning like identity and intimacy and self-worth and relationship with a human man, with my boyfriend and then husband simultaneously with the journey of really beginning to understand intimacy and identity and self-worth and all that sort of stuff with the Lord, which is kind of what I was meaning when I was like, like warning, warning, I'm not saying everybody go and do this, but essentially what ended up happening is we started dating right around when I had just given my life to the Lord. Um, But before that happened, I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) So before we got there, we kind of, um, we had had a conversation um, like we'd had before, which was like, listen, we can't actually date. Like, this isn't going to happen. And um, at that time, I was a lot more deeply entrenched with my with my Bible group. I was reading the Bible every day. Um, in the spring of 2013, this is all in the spring of 2013, so four years ago, I was... Um, I had had a crazy dream that I thought might be the Lord, and I was thinking about getting baptized and all this kind of stuff that I was not really telling Blake about because I was still a little bit feeling embarrassed about my whole—I was just self-conscious, you know, because our entire lives this had been such like a—obviously a, a hindrance, but also something we used to fight over and whatever. So, like, he knew that I was going to a church, but he didn't know the extent to which I was getting involved and even how closely my heart was already with God. Um, and this is this is a kind of hard in my memory because it all kind of happened around the same time, but— there was a point at which I remember being at church and sitting in a pew and getting to a point where I just, I had tears in my eyes and I was just saying, okay, like, I don't actually know if you're there, but if you're there and if you're listening, I think I need you to do that thing where you come into my heart. I don't know what that looks like. And I feel so stupid asking, but I think I need you. Um, so that was happening. Blake has no idea. He has no idea that in any form I may have asked Jesus to like, be my savior doesn't know wow um we have this conversation we're not going to date and i remember hanging up the phone and going and laying down on my floor in my kitchen on the tiles which is i would do that sometimes and i was having feelings <laughs> all the feelings and i lay down on the floor and i stared at the ceiling and i just cried and cried and cried and i had this um kind of like this is this gutted feeling where i knew that something that was so important to me had been taken away and wasn't going to happen but in thinking that, I realized that more or less like a question, and again, I don't know if it was the Lord or if it was just me finally getting to that kind of breaking point, but I was like, what else in my life am I missing out on because I haven't decided about Jesus yet? Wow. Like, what? Like, like, and I can't, like, I have to. What a good question. Well, yeah, I mean, it changed my life. Like, that moment was pivotal because, and again, like, this is why I know, like, the Lord is so much bigger than 
than all things. And so I'm not, I'm not saying that it took a boy to get me to know Jesus, but I am saying it took a moment of real like loss and honesty and vulnerability and me opening myself up to, to the Lord on the tiles of my kitchen floor, just being like, help me for me to realize, oh, like there might be more on the line here than what I've realized. Like what if my life actually could look so different and I've lived 26 years not knowing that because I've been towing the line. Like maybe it's not enough anymore just to go to church on Sundays and kind of be, you know, timidly learning. Like maybe it's time to commit. Wow. Um, Yeah, which was huge because even especially in my life, like most of my friends at that point weren't Christians. My family aren't Christians. And I was facing this very real question of feeling like, I think everybody in my life might reject me. But I think at this point, I no longer can let that be an excuse to not find out. Wow. I'm just like so intrigued. You, <laughs> this is like, I, I hope people listening to this who maybe are towing the line can just feel impacted and empowered to make decisions for themselves because this is just awesome. So keep, keep telling me more. <laughs> um, well, so from that point forward, um, I mean, at that time, that last conversation, we had decided to have some distance. And in that time, you know, I'm having this like revelation and feeling like, okay, like it's like now or never, like it has to happen. Sometime around February, um, I had been, again, on my own, still very private journey with the Lord, kind of trying to learn like, what does it look like to talk to God? What does it look like to love God? I don't know how to love God. I don't know if I know how to love, period. Just all these kind of like awkward things. It's like beginning of relationship stuff, I guess. Um, And he and I had a conversation and I was like, you know what? Um, I haven't seen you in a while. We haven't talked really since we decided in January, essentially not to um, date. And so uh, I think I want to come to Nashville. And he's like, that's great. Why don't you come down? You can visit my church. Um, what he didn't know is that prior to that conversation, I had thought that the Lord said to me, if you come to Nashville, I will show you what you want to see. I don't remember even like, I don't know if that happened during church. I don't remember, but I remember that it happened. I remember again being like, I'm not sure that God even speaks. I'm not sure I'm like, can like, this is going to work out well for me. Like, I'm still scared that I'm about to risk everything just to find out that I'm wrong. And maybe Jesus isn't real. And I'm a little crazy. Like, I'm still totally, like, in freak-out zone. But I thought the Lord said, if you come to Nashville, I will show you what you want to see. So I did. Booked the ticket, went to Nashville. And while I was here, I met some of Blake's friends. I met his pastors. I went to our church that we now go to. I visited. I visited the evening young adult program that they have. Um, And I left that weekend— having experienced in so many ways the actual love of God, which I had never really felt before, Um, both like in a tangible way, but also just in very like practical ways, like just meeting people that were unlike anyone I had known and people who talked to me about creativity and spirituality and, you know, that, again, the kind of people that make space for you where you're at um, and just like, love you. Like people just loved me. They loved on me. The second they met me, they gave me hugs. They welcomed me. And, and because I was a friend of Blake's, they were just so kind, you know? Um, but also cause they're just good people. Yeah. Um, 
so that, that weekend really changed my life. Um, so much so that I booked a ticket immediately to come back a month later. Wow. To do it. Yeah. To come back and visit again. And at that point, like I was pretty much like done. Like I was done for the one thing that was left remaining really was that I was still afraid that my family wouldn't be okay. And I think one of the most amazing things about this whole process is how something that I thought might cause division between me and my family has actually continued to be something that draws us closer together, um, which both speaks to like the Lord, but also I think um, just to the goodness of my family that uh, before I knew Jesus and knew how you had better ways to talk to them or whatever it was, like I wasn't giving them enough credit in a way. Um, so there's just been such a blessing there uh, that I hadn't expected. But I remember one of those trips, I don't remember if it was March or February, but on the way home, I knew I had a layover in Chicago, which is where my sister lives still. And I, I literally was like, can you meet me at the airport? And she met me, she got through security and everything to meet me on this layover so she could sit with me and talk. And she's just like, okay, tell me everything. Like, what was it like being with Blake? Because she knew that I liked him and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Blake's fine, but I need to talk to you about Jesus. And I basically just sat her down and, and told her um, everything that I experienced and kind of like the weird things. I mean, I know people listening to this podcast probably are from just like a whole um, host of backgrounds, which is awesome. Um, something that I was exposed to that at the time was new for me was just like Holy Spirit and, you know, the kinds of things that he can do. And so I was just sharing that with my sister and I, I told her this, the experience of experiencing God's love. Um, and I told her that, this was something that I wanted to do, that I wanted to uh, follow Jesus, but I couldn't do it if I thought that she would uh, want to reject me or that she wouldn't want to be my sister anymore, more or less. And she like, just with like tears in her eyes, just like takes my hand and she's like, there's nothing you could ever do that would make me not love you anymore. Wow. I'm like crying over here. <laughs> yeah. It's just incredible. I mean, she's such an incredible person. But it's almost like having that blessing was the last thing I needed to, to really be able to just jump all in. And that was it for me. Like I went back to New York and I got baptized like immediately. My church has happened to be doing baptisms on Easter that year. Um, I mean, they do that every year. It's not like coincidentally, but, but it's just the way it worked out. They were doing it. So I got baptized like almost immediately and that was it. Like that was everything. So that's actually why I then moved. Sorry, it's such a long answer oh, for your I one simple question. This. I love oh my it. gosh. <laughs> So that's, that's what did it. I mean, by the time I got back from that second trip, I knew that, um, because I'm an all or nothing kind of person, like even, I mean, in my life, obviously, like I'm not, I don't like doing things halfway. And when I do things halfway, uh, it doesn't work out well for me and I'm not happy. So I'm the kind of person that's going to move to LA to be a dance major because why, why would you do anything else? <laughs> why, you know? And I'm going to move to New York because like leaving LA because it wasn't healthy for me, wasn't quite enough. I had to like go all the way to the opposite side of the country to the other biggest city that, you know, so it's just kind of who I am. But I just knew, I was like, well, if I'm going to do this this time, because the nature of this journey, I'm not going to do it part way. So I was like, great. Um, I think I moved to Nashville. I'm going to do that crazy school <laughs> at that church that my then friend, then future boyfriend, future husband, Blake went to. And I was just an easiest decision of my life. I was like, great. I'm putting my notice at my jobs. I had like three jobs. Um, I'm selling everything. I sold everything, threw away a lot of stuff. 
and left by the fall. I moved down to Nashville. Wow, that's quick. So within like, yeah. you know, yeah. a few months. Mm-hmm. Wow. And did you start the School of Supernatural Life that fall, which is the school we're referring to? Yes. Yeah. So it's called the School of Supernatural Life. Yeah. And it's at Grace Center in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, it's run by Alan and AJ Jones, who I know, Kelsey, Kelsey uh, you know, I've, all listened, about I've them. listened to every <laughs> single podcast, every boundary sermon, everything. They're amazing. Yes. Yeah. They're amazing. I listen to their podcast every week and I like live here. Like I, I see them every week. I also listen to their podcast every week. I can't get enough. I think they're some of the most wise people that I've ever met. Totally agreed. Yeah. The best. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and I guess the thing too, is it's like, I mean, I don't know. It was just like the clearest next step for me. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. Great. I'll move to Nashville and stuff just happened. Like we had friends that, um, I had met a girl when I came to visit the school and she was like friends with Blake just because of the school and, and she's married and, you know, they happen to have a room in their house and she's like, you can live with us if you want, you know, it's just like things just kind of opened up. Um, but one of the most wonderful things about that whole transition is that people kept on asking me like, oh, so you're moving to Nashville for Blake then, right? Oh, I left out part of the story. So basically, <laughs> so basically in March, after I decided to give my life to Jesus, that I was like, I'm definitely doing this. When I came back in March to visit the school again in the church and to see Blake, um, it was during that trip. It was actually, uh, I guess, four years ago yesterday. Is today the 16th? Yeah, four years ago yesterday, we decided to date. Um, and we decided to date like with bumpers. Like we're like, we're going to do this because we really want to be together. But also it can't be a thing where this journey of Jesus is ever about being with Blake. Like it has to be Elena and Jesus. And then separately, I mean, obviously those things are connected, but it couldn't be influenced, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So people kind of assumed it was like, oh, and especially like my non-Christian friends who didn't really have a place to put a school of supernatural life. Like they're like, I don't know if that is, you know, they're like, oh, it's for Blake, right? And it's like, no, it's actually literally for Jesus. Um, and when I moved down here for the first three months I lived here, we were, we were long distance for several months. I moved down here and then we were still kind of long distance because he was on tour for the first three months of the school. So I was pretty much here in Nashville getting acquainted with um, everything I was learning. I mean, this was like the first time I was actually learning anything about the Bible. Like this is super intense three months of my life, but also making friends and like getting connected in the church and getting to go a little bit from being, oh, this is the girl that's that Blake is dating. This is when I came, everybody was like, oh, you're Blake's girlfriend or, oh, you're, you're Lane's, you're underscore Lane's. I know you from Blake's Instagram. <laughs> so it was nice that he was away because it meant that I got to go on that journey and like make my new, like make new friends and be Elena without Blake, which I think was really healthy for us. And I think it's just the kindness of God that he's going to put in little like bumpers and make it easy. Like it wasn't this like tortured thing where we're like, oh gosh, like we need to honor the Lord and we need to whatever. And so here's these really intense like boundaries. Like he just made it easy. It was like, oh, there's boundaries. This is great. I'll see you in two weeks when you get back from tour. You know, it was just, it was a lot easier than I think it 
it could have been. Yeah. And it is really special. We've really experienced that here in Colorado because we each had our own communities in Tennessee to when we moved here, like people got to know each of us kind of at equal pace. And it sounds like, you know, they did get to know him first, but then since he was gone, they had their time to get to know you. And it, it is really special when a community is equally invested in each person. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's really powerful. That has been like so um, special for us in our move to Colorado because mm-hmm. we each had our own groups that we totally integrated into in Den- Tennessee, but it's been really cool to like build community together here. So that's, that's cool that you had that time yeah. to do that, you know, just as Elena. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really thankful. So, um, so yeah. y'all ended up getting married. Obviously you're on staff at that, at there, right? I was. So the, the way that they do the school here, um, again, if like people are familiar, it's a little bit like um, Bethel's school, but it's it's really different in a lot of ways just in terms of structure. I mean, even like just the class structure and stuff, but it's a similar idea. Um, we have a two-year program, so you can go and you don't have to do a, one in a, you don't have to do like one in the next one right after, but I did the first year of the school, and then I was asked to be on staff as a small group leader. So I got to do that for a year. And then they launched, literally during that year, they decided to launch a second year. And so the second they, like, put that on Instagram, I, like, knew. I was like, oh. Like, I jokingly posted, like, a screenshot of it. And I was like, I guess we all know what we're doing next year. And it was, like, a joke. But it was like, no, this is really what I'm doing. (laughs) This is... I'm, like, still in this season of the Lord. Like, it's still time to be immersed, and it's still time to learn. So I did... I did three. I feel like I did three years of school. <laughs> How cool. Yeah. I always yeah. tell people if we move back to Tennessee, I'm signing up. Yes. <laughs> so have you always, has writing always been, obviously you're creative, has writing always been kind of an expression of who you are? I believe, yeah, I think so. I mean, I've written for, I hate when people say like cliche things like, oh, like writing's all I've ever known. Like, like I've written since <laughs> I could write. But like, kind of like, I remember being in elementary school and our, our school district, I think it was the entire district did this thing where like every year, like every class got these like little blank books and everybody wrote like a story or wrote some kind of thing. Um, and I, rem- I just love that. And I remember in third grade getting special permission from my teacher to do a book of poetry because I was really into poetry at that time. Um, so yeah, I've like, I've always written and I've always wanted to do more with it but you know for a while again this obviously there's been so many different polls and I'm like oh I'm gonna do grad school or I'm gonna be a dancer that there is I didn't always really fully pursue it until now well I'm thankful you did because you know for those of you listening Elena has recently recently come on board as a regular contributor at Radiant she has her own blog and you you tend to speak about identity a lot would that (laughs) be right what's your heart behind that Yeah, I think because my own story is so much uh, a result of of not having identity and kind of going through the ups and downs and like the joy and also the pain of recognizing that I didn't know exactly who I was and then coming to learn more about that with the Lord and then seeing how in my life and in the life of everyone else I know, like the more sure I became— of who I was, the more things in my life, um, happened, I guess. I just, I just, I feel like I've really been ingrained of this idea that you, like, you need to be clear on who God is 
And you need to be clear on who he says you are because everything that you're going to receive in your life is dependent upon how you think about those things. And if there's anything in there that is blocking you, if, if you don't know who you are, you don't actually love yourself like God loves you, or if you don't know who God is, like, again, even things sometimes that I hear people say that are technically theologically correct about the Lord, it's actually like a weird interpretation when you look at his nature. Um, and that determines what they expect in their life with him. It determines how they treat other people. I think that's why people say judgmental things online about others and base it in scriptures because they don't, they don't fully or haven't fully experienced like the love of God. They don't know that identity part of him. And so they don't know that part of the identity of themselves. They don't know fully love. They don't know fully compassion. They don't know they're fully accepted. And so we live out of that. And so I think I see that, but I think I've experienced that just in my own life. Like I know what a mess my life was before I knew who I was, you know? So I do, I feel so strongly about that, especially for women. Oh, very cool. What has been the most monumental in your own journey of discovering your identity? Have you had mentors? Are there resources you could refer our listeners to? Because I'm really passionate and that's a core value of Radiant Mm -hmm. as well, is just women discovering their identity and who God says they are. Because only out of that identity will they be able to live with the fullness and the freedom and the joy that we hope everyone can live with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is that, I mean, I, I think, I mean, having good mentors has definitely helped. Um, but I think really a lot of the experiences that the school facilitated that allowed me to um, to actually like meet the true God, <laughs> to really like be face to face with Um, with who God is and to experience relationship with him has changed everything for me. So, and for me, I was able to do that because of the school. And and I'm I'm not saying that everybody needs to go to a, like a supernatural school to be able to do that, but they, they gave me tools that helped me to build a relationship with a God that I, at the time, like didn't fully trust. And if people are like me, like I've had, I've had some really hard things happen to me in my life. Like there's there's really good reasons why it's hard for me to trust or why I would expect to be abandoned because those are things I experienced. And, you know, like growing up wasn't, wasn't all rosy and there was divorce and there was abandonment. There was abuse. There's all these things that I spent my entire life living out of. Um, And I think where most of us get stuck is that like with our identity is that we don't know that we are so loved by God that he actually is with us in those areas of pain. Um, and I think unresolved pain is probably the number one reason why people leave church or if people who grew up in church no longer find it satisfying. I think it's because we don't, we're not given the tools to like be honest with and meet God in those places. And if you think that God doesn't care about those places, like why would you stay? Like that's abuse. Like why, you know, totally. why, if you think that, that, you know, the Lord, your God, is wrathful and doesn't care about your pain on some level, like I wouldn't stick around for that either. And I didn't, that's, you know, that's what was presented to me. And I'm like, Nope, you Christians sound nuts, you know, (laughs) but I think it's like really learning. So I guess to get back to the question, I think the greatest resource is finding either a pastor or um, like a school or ministry, like heart sync or something like that, that can help you to, learn how to connect to God himself. Because the more time I spend in God's presence, the more I spend time in worship, the more I um, I let him talk to me about how he sees me, 
the more I am changed. And it, and it's not change that comes from memorizing Bible verses, though that helps, you know, it reinforces, you know, it's like, oh, I think that the Lord loves me. It's really helpful to have all those Bible verses. Like there's a reason we have the word, you know, so I'm not like bashing the word, but I think without that experience of God, like you need to have something for those things to stick to. And if your heart is hurting or closed off, like there's nothing for those things to stick to. Like you could read a verse 500 times a day and it's never going to sink in if you don't truly know from God himself that he loves you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, girl, preach. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And and for those of you listening, we can link up, you know, some podcasts in the show notes of from the the under 30s night that she's referring to and the podcast we both love from Alan and AJ, because I learned so much. I live in Colorado. I don't get to go there every week, but I do get to listen and it's really enjoyable. And I I learn a ton. My husband has now started listening in. So we really enjoy those teachings. And, you know, if you don't have something to say, you live somewhere really rural and don't have access to this kind of stuff like podcasts, um, that kind of are your niche and can speak to you in the way that you speak um, have been really powerful for me and my husband. We have a few that are kind of on our circuit that we, you know, listen to regularly. Yeah. And I would say too, like in the same vein, I know that um, I think people who have really powerful things to say about um, like really like emotional healing and the kinds of things that I think repair our experience with God so that we can experience him and, and understand identity more is uh, pretty much anything that Chris Valentin or Jason Valentin speak on, I think always really helps me in an identity way. And even just in a healthy, like Jason's whole thing is like healthy emotional processing, experiencing emotions healthily. So like their resources, whatever they have, like I think they probably have a website. Bethel has like an entire library of all the things that they do. Um, but also Krista Black Gifford talks a lot about how do you connect with God, especially from places of pain. Um, and then, yeah, like Alan and AJ, I mean, I, I, I've, I've learned everything I know, you know, anything that I know that I didn't just learn straight from God, I've pretty much learned from them. Their, their teachings have been a, a launching pad for me to, I don't know, into just really wonderful explorations with God. So I cannot recommend them enough. So cool. Seriously. Well, obviously, uh, coming alongside identity, you're passionate about intimacy and women, you know, kind of weaving those two things together. I know you've got a survey going on right now. You've got a section of your site that seems to be like a series called Liberté. Can you tell us more about it? Yes. So um, I have my regular blog, just elenastratton.com, and I'm trying to post more regularly to that because I would like to be doing more freelance writing. But if you go to that site, if you go to elenastratton.com slash liberté, which is L-I-B-E-R-T-E, you'll get to a page where you can sign up for what I'm calling a preview series of content. So it's basically a sneak peek into the kind of content that a new site I'm developing will feature. And it's all about intimacy and identity. So I actually talk a little bit in this little series. You just, you sign up for it and then you get um, over the course of several days. It's like, I think you get one every other day or something. There's like six emails in total. You get this like beautiful little PDF we made. um, And it just, it gives you different posts that kind of walk you through some of my journey with identity and intimacy. Um, And that whole site, as I said, is kind of in development, but it does come from the same idea of 
identity and intimacy are connected. And especially for women, I've just heard so many interesting things that women in and out of the church experience when it comes to all kinds of intimacy. So to me, that means definitely sex, but also self-image and self-love, like body image, how you feel about your, um, how you view your physical body, um, thinking about friendships and belonging and rejection. I just know so many women deal with comparison and feeling like they don't belong. Um, And these are all things that like I had issues with in different ways. And the more I started talking about them, the more I realized just it's really common for women. And I know that Jesus has an answer for every single one of these things, but it's not always what we hear. And it's also just not the conversation that happens. Like there's not, I remember when I came into the church for the first time, I was just really surprised. Like outside the church, people are talking about this kind of stuff all the time, but because they don't have the basis of the Bible, sometimes the things they're saying aren't entirely true. Um, But then you come into church and and it's like, no one's talking about sex. No one's talking about, um, you know, how do you, like what, what really is the point of purity? I mean, honestly, until I read some of the stuff that like Chris Valton and, um, Havila at Bethel, the kinds of things that they all write about. Like I had never heard Christians and Krista Black as well. Like they're so vulnerable and so honest. And I think the church really needs that. And so I just recognize that women are experiencing just so many things in the area of intimacy from friendships to marriage to dating. um, And all of that is directly related to identity. And it just, to me, I was like, this is this is something that I know I deal with and it's something that I really want to be on a journey with others. And I don't think I'm the only one. So that's where that came from. Have you received kind of a wild response to this? Yeah. Well, really the, the coolest thing has just been to hear from other women kind of time and time again, like, I'm so thankful that you're doing this because I need this. And I love the questions you're asking. Please keep asking them. So again, like, I think that I've just been so impacted. You had mentioned before that um, the survey I did. So I had, I constructed this little survey um, because part of the point of this is that I want it to be a conversation. And so I want to find ways that I can interact with people. And I also don't, I want to write from my own experience. Like I never want to be preachy. I'm not a pastor. I'm not really a teacher. You know, I'm just a, a person who likes to communicate and has feelings and has a heart for people. Um, So like, I want to talk from my own experience, but I also want to do something that will serve people. And so I was like, well, I need to find out what people need. And so I just made this survey to find out like, you know, who, who's interested in this? Like, what are they going through? Where are their pain points? What, what do they perceive that like the capital C church has told them about these things? Um, what kind of resources are they looking for? What topics are interesting to them? Um, and so I did this little survey. I sent part of it, or not part of it, I sent one to some girlfriends from church, and then I created a, the exact same thing, but I created a separate one and just opened it up to the internet. Um, and I got responses all the way from, you know, other women from my church, all the way to people I don't know. And I don't even know, like, what kind of church they're from or, you know, where they're after the Lord. Like, it's just completely, and it's, it's optional anonymous as well, which was awesome because people would fill it out anonymously, but they would be so honest. And it was just so touching. It was just so profound to see the things that people are actually going through. It really put me in touch with God's heart for all of them because I would just read it. And I was like, oh, like just like weeping on behalf of the things people have been through, but knowing that that's the Lord too, like he grieves with us. And so 
it was just so powerful for me. Like I'm just, I'm like now I'm in the process of kind of taking all that and being like, okay, God, like, what do I do with this? Like, what do I write? You know, how much of this is just still me talking, you know, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out, but it was really powerful. Wow. Well, we'll definitely open that. We'll, we'll post a link to that so you guys yeah. can kind of find Elena and keep up with what she's doing and take it because I mean, I will always remember something kind of a mentor for the summer. She was kind of the head of all of us at a camp said, and she said, you know, Satan always wants to convince you that like shame should be kept hidden and alone. Um, but actually in exposing it, it creates freedom and fullness. And I think you opening up a conversation for women around this is going to create so much fullness and freedom because so, so many times it's locked away in the deepest corner of our hearts and no one wants to talk about it, but it, it festers there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So- yeah. Like you never know what that stuff will like. It's just so interesting when you find, I don't know, the more I've learned about inner healing stuff, it's so fascinating to find out like, sometimes even the tiniest of things that we try to hide or that give us shame manifest in the craziest ways and in big ways, like in our lives that you just wouldn't expect. Um, but people at our church say this thing where it's like, you never know, like if you open the door, like you don't get to decide what comes in. So like if I open the door even a little bit to shame, like that door gets flung wide open to a whole host of stuff Um, because just the nature of it, because, you know, you're feeling ashamed, you start acting like an ashamed person, you start inviting certain behaviors and other kinds of people into your life, like everything you do stems from, like, again, like those mindsets and how you're understanding your identity. And it's just wild. So I think, and again, like, I've experienced that in my own life, even in the last couple of weeks, since working more on this, I've been experiencing stuff where like, Blake and I will have a conversation in a little bit. I'm like, oh crap, like I'm gonna have to talk about this online. Not because like, I think, you know, TMI, let's share everything. But in a way I'm like, oh, I feel that shame thing. I feel that coming up. I I hear that lie that, oh no, no, no. Like you can do this whole like blog to help women, but like, you're not gonna talk about that because that'd be embarrassing. And it's like, oh, okay, great. I think I exactly need to talk about that because we're going to take down all this shame stuff and we can't do that. Again, you can't do it part way. You can't do it just part. You have to do the whole thing. So, Oh, man. I'm excited to see what comes of this and what, you know, kind of um, materials and content you release following this because I think it's going to be really, really powerful. I just am so excited. And you guys, if you haven't read Elena's um, articles yet. I think one has gone live on Radiant. Probably by the time this is aired, two will have gone live. And she is just a rock star. I just love what she has to say. So before we go, I definitely want to talk about your podcast, um, White Flag Wealth. I know it's on pause right now, but I'd just love to talk about, like, obviously there's still episodes up, so you guys can go listen. Um, I've really enjoyed listening to it. I love your heart to kind of instill a mindset of abundance. Can you kind of touch on all of that? Yeah. So it's interesting because this is all kind of related. I'm starting to feel like this is a little bit the point of both my life and Blake's life, that there these like recurring themes of sort of looking at the landscape and being like, oh, well, this is the way that things are right now. Um, doesn't quite match up to what God's word says. So what's that journey like? I feel like that's kind of the running theme. And that's really where the podcast came from. So it's called White Flag Wealth. And the whole idea actually came from um, experiences that Blake was having on his own before we were married, transitioning from being a musician to trying to find the um, 
like what to do next and transitioning sort of into the business world. Blake was going through all of these different things, learning about finances and wealth and mindsets really at a time in his life when like he was basically in poverty. Like this is while we were dating, like we didn't have any money to do anything. It was really, really hard, but he was forced to confront and consider a lot of stuff about his identity and how his mindset would be affecting his income, his jobs, his dreams, things like that. And he had had someone pray for him years ago. I think when he was at Bethel, somebody had prayed for him and they said this thing, they saw like this phrase, white flag wealth. And they had spoken that over him. And, and that for us is uh, kind of like the tagline is abundance through surrender. So it's like this idea of like kind of waving the white flag, um, giving up trying to do things the way that we think is right and trying to do it actually the way that God says and um, allowing him to, to bring abundance into our lives, not just in the finances, but in other ways, um, not, not by striving, but by like resting and believing in what he actually said. So that's kind of like where that came from. And just like as a newlywed couple, that was obviously, it's like one of the first things that you really figure out when you get married, right? It's like how we can do finances. And neither one of us really had a great track record. Like we both, um, we talk about this on the podcast too, but like we both have student loan debt. We have bad debt, um, like credit card debt. And we had a lot of shame. And um, like most people, just a lot of baggage. We both, we grew up entirely differently um, we grew up in the same town, but just our family, just in terms of income and mindsets around money, all looked very, very different. Um, but we both kind of brought into marriage with us anxieties and mindsets around finances that when we really looked at it, we're like, but is that what God says? Because actually, like the Bible says that that we'll live an abundant life and this doesn't feel like abundance, you know? which is a really uncomfortable question. But again, like we just have that drive, not just to live comfortably, but to to live fully. And so if the Lord said, if the Lord is going to send Jesus to die for me and sacrifice everything so that I could have an abundant life. Um, my pastor, Alan said this thing about, he's like, when you're looking at your life, I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to massacre, but more or less kind of like this idea of like, is like what you're in, like, is it kind of like worth what Jesus died for? Like, is does this look like what he promised? He said it way more eloquently than that, but it's just... Yeah. <laughs> if that's the non-eloquent way. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that, it's like crazy. Cause it's not like a shame thing. It's not like, oh, you should be doing better. It's like, oh, like I've been trying really hard. Maybe it's time I let God have a go at it because, you know, I don't know. So it's just, it's kind of more about asking questions and being open to like the Lord leading and just being really honest. Um, we did this whole, like, it was like hashtag no shame campaign. Um, because we needed that. It's the same thing like with my with my new project, but it's the same thing where it's like, we need that. Like we need to combat the shame in our lives that controls us because the more we agree with shame or fear, honestly, the more we were making choices that were probably keeping us poor, you know? So we really want to expose. I think it's like what you said. It's like, you got to expose it because when you expose it, it loses its power. And so we just really wanted to, again, bring people along in a journey and encourage them to do it themselves where, it, where you know, it's like, yeah, Maybe your life doesn't look like abundance, and that's okay. But the Bible says that that's what we get to hope for. So, like, what does God have to say about that? Like, you know, like what? I don't know. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's really cool, and I think I've been on a journey this year of really trusting God with our finances, and He's asked us to make, you know, David and I as a, a family make some risky choices, but He's always mm-hmm. provided, and in that risk and surrendering what 
you think is going to keep you secure, um, but trusting him, it's always worked out. It has always yielded fullness and freedom and joy and abundance for us. I think we've really seen that in our lives in this Mm -hmm. year. Um, And it's been a year of asking God for things and believing God for things. And it's really coming full circle because, you know, he's, a good father. And we don't always have the best picture of a dad. I I do. My dad rocks. But society, people, everyone has different life experiences. We don't always have the best picture of a dad. And mm-hmm. that can still our view and our expectations of who God is. Now, I know someone's going to be listening. I'm sure you get this all the time. How do you, you know, how do you answer the question of people who are going to say, oh, this is like the prosperity thing or, you know, the prosperity gospel. Um, What do you say to that? Because I know it's different. It's not like you're just like, oh, we should be rolling it, you know, Mm -hmm. rolling in, rolling up in a, (laughs) you know, Ferrari tomorrow. Um, It's not about that. And I, I get it, but I think a lot of people in the church are still confused on the topic of abundance and wealth. And justify things with like, but what does that say about people in Africa? I know you've probably dealt with these conversations time and time again, so you can probably speak to it way better than I can. Oh my gosh. I wish that I could. So the best response that I know to all of that, including the, uh, the inevitable question of, well, what about the orphans in Africa? Um, the best response I've ever heard to that was actually once again, an Alan Jones response and it, because he includes that he actually just did a series at our church first at emanate which is our 20s and 30s ministry that we've been mentioning and then at grace center on sundays it's like a three-part series about god's blessing and he just takes a a look at what scripture actually says about god's blessing um which does include finances but also all of your life as well as the way that the Lord instructs us to live, um, to receive blessing. And it's not about receiving the blessing. It's about your heart and it's about, um, experiencing the Lord and trusting him. Um, because at the, I think the third part of that series, he talks a lot about what tithing actually is, what it means to give and, um, sacrificial giving and how all three of those are part of living a a life of blessing with the Lord um, but he does say in that literally like the whole thing about well, what about the orphans in Africa? And he kind of kind of explains how that that reaction is connected a bit to other kind of like things in our heart. I'm not the best one to explain it. I think for me, what I because I didn't grow up in church. So like when I first started learning about this stuff, I actually had another friend who was like, I don't know. Like- Everybody needs reliable home internet, but who needs the hassles that come with it? That's why T-Mobile is bringing you a new choice for high-speed home internet without annual service contracts or data caps. With T-Mobile home internet, you get a fast and reliable connection for just $50 a month with auto pay. That's right, 50 bucks a month with no hidden fees and no price hikes. So Michigan, what are you waiting for? Sign up at T-Mobile.com slash home internet. During congestion, home internet customers may notice speeds lower than other customers due to data prioritization. Coverage not available in all areas. Qualifying accounting credit required. $5 more per month without auto pay. See rep for details. Did you know you could shop around for prescription prices? With GoodRx, you can find free coupons at over 70,000 pharmacies and save up to 80%. It's that easy. But don't just take my word for it. Dr. Adam says, I've been telling all my patients about GoodRx. Jacqueline says, my medication was $65 without insurance, but I paid $25. Aubriana says, you don't have to pay full price to live your best life. 
life. Couldn't have said it better myself. GoodRx is 100% free. Download the GoodRx app today and start saving. GoodRx is not insurance.